Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Produce Buzzers Podcast. We are so happy you have joined us today, and I think you will be too after the show is over, because you will learn a lot about fresh fruits and vegetables, how to select and store them, how to prepare and cook them, and surprising facts about their history and origin. We hope it inspires you to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, not only for your health, but also for your delight and pleasure as you explore their amazing world of taste and delicious flavors. Eating more of them will transform your life in so many positive ways. So settle back, relax, and get ready for another delicious adventure with the Produce Buzzers. Produce Buzzers podcast fans, welcome to another delicious episode of the Produce Buzzers podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Edwin Stepp, and executive editor of ProduceBuzz.com. I'm joined once again by Teresa Nolan, the president and founder of Produce Buzz, along with Rick Stepp and Cynthia Benedetto, both contributing editors to Produce Buzz. Today, we, the Produce Buzzers, are in a bit of a pickle. But don't worry, we wanted to be, because we're going to honor one of our favorite foods, pickles. Now, almost any vegetable can be pickled, but we're going to focus on the most common one that we eat, those made from cucumbers. And we have one of the country's foremost experts on them with us today. And he's going to tell us all about how they're grown, harvested, processed, and packed. We have today as very special guest, Bill Olvey. Who- hello, hello. Thanks for joining us, Bill. (laughs) You work now primarily sourcing cucumbers for the various pickle producers in the country, but you've had a long career in the produce industry. Tell us how you got started in it. How I got in produce. I I worked for the Vero Beach Recreation Department during summers, you know, from early years and then through college, and I met all the local businessmen through that. Um, and I was getting job offers at different times, um, because of after I graduated and the guy who was the VP of sales from, uh, Dole Citrus at the time was a guy named John Brown. And he came up to me and, you know, I had signed the minor league contract. So he said, you know, if the baseball thing doesn't work out, uh, call me up. Let's, let's talk about a job. So it didn't work out. <laughs> and uh because i was on i was well on the tail end of my career when they signed me anyway it was kind of like really so when i when i got uh released i started uh, looking for a job and i remember what john had said so I, I reached out to him and i had a few different interviews and um i wound up going to work for dole citrus down there and that's how i wound up in the industry and that's dole as in the pineapple people um but they had citrus in California and Arizona and Florida. And then my grandfather on my mother's side actually was a farmer, 150 acres up in Indiana. And I used to spend summers up there. So, I mean, I've always kind of been around it. And Vero is citrus central where it was then. So I always kind of grew up around it. But it really, the start of it really was just me looking for a job and looking for something that would get me out of Vero Beach, Florida. What, what did, uh, what, who were you drafted by? I wasn't drafted. I was a unsigned free agent by the Dodgers. I, I went to spring training in 87 down there in Bureau. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Did cool. you work with okay. uh, Ann Gellinger and Pat Rogers at all? Let me tell you something. I, Ann Gellinger is a 
one of my primary produce mentors. And uh, yes, I worked for Pat Rogers. I worked with Pat Rogers. And uh, I know both of them. Now, I haven't talked to them for a long time, but absolutely, I know those guys. Do you remember when uh, we started the fundraising citrus program with you guys around that same time? Oh, I, you know, I do seem to remember that. Um, we, we worked with Ann, but Pat's the one who we first contacted. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember that name. Ann, Ann was, a, was something else, man. She was a character. Yeah. She was, a, they called her Queen of the River. And she did, she did really well in, a, in a, a primarily, you know, dominant men's world down there in that industry. And she taught me everything I knew, man. I, I loved her. Was she my mom's age? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. She was probably, she's probably in her 40s when I was working at the uh, no. My mom they, was in they, her 40s they, when she had me. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I have to bear in mind, guys, I was born and raised at uh, in Vero Beach, Florida. You know, right. I was I was born at Indian River Memorial Hospital there, the old one. So <laughs> that whole you know, I still see names and things I recognize, but yeah, I've been gone a long time. But all, all those guys in the citrus industry, you mentioned, I think someone mentioned John Brown. No, it was Pat Rogers, but John Brown and a bunch of different people. Um, and that was really the beginning of, I don't want to call it the end of the Florida citrus industry, but it was certainly a beginning of troubling times, you know, in the mid 80s, late 80s, that's for sure. Yeah. Tell us, tell us uh, about your job and what you do to furnish us with those delicious pickles <laughs> well specific to it's actually kind of a little known industry and uh there are always a lot of interesting questions that go with that you know it's one of the, you say pickling anything like you said and there's a lot of that going on but um but a lot of people don't realize there are varieties of pickles uh pickling cucumbers that are conducive to that process so mm. um Growers grow specific varieties for sizing characteristics. There's a ratio of three to one that they like to see within any variety. Um, and what does that mean, three to one? Uh, three, uh, like the, the magic ratio with the credit card, uh, three length to uh, width. Yeah, oh, oh, okay, okay, uh, okay. Visual to that that they like. But they have um, thinner skin that makes it easier to brine um, and more conducive to that. But um, the pickling cucumbers in domestically are grown primarily in the southeast and they work their way up the east coast up into the Wisconsin, Michigan, Midwest area hmm. um, through the summer. And then when the when it gets cold here in the States, the industry moves down to Mexico uh, and they start bringing pickling cukes up through Nogales and through McAllen. And that is they're transported by size. They're um uh, sized up, graded, whatnot, and then they're put in 2,000 pound bins or 40 bushel bins, and they put 20 per trailer load. Um, and then those bins go to the processors, wherever that may be, and then they dump those bins into their respective brines hmm. uh, and begin that process. So the only, that Kirby, uh, the only one I know is Kirby. Okay, Kirby hmm. is kind of like a generic name for a particular size of pickling cucumber. That's really kind of an old school throwback. Uh, when you say a Kirby, you're talking about a, a raw cucumber that, you know, that's been grown for, um, that's kind of Florida based as well. You don't hear that term so much. Um, 
up there uh, in the, up here so much, but anymore. But that was kind of an old school term. But yeah, that's that's a common term. Like a Nike, oh, those are Nikes. You know, that's where Kirby huh. uh, comes from. So a brand. So it's a brand, so actually, what, not what a variety. The, what are the what are the varieties? Oh gosh, there are numerous varieties. Expedition is probably the most popular at this time um, here domestically. Um, but man, there are many, many. Oh, I varieties. thought you said there's only three. Oh no, no, no. Did I miss? No, I, no, no. There are several different varieties of pickling cucumbers, and like every other industry, there are um, R and D being done to make the better pickling cucumber. You know, a lot of them are also trying to go through make them seedless. Uh, because, you know, a lot of people, that's a problem for pickling if they're uh, one of those weird things where you say, oh, the seed, they say it's a, you want a tight seed pod, you know, and that's because it, when they spear these pickles, if they're not tight, you get all the pickles in your, in your brine or all the seeds are in your brine and kind of mix it up. So, hmm. yeah, it's a little yeah. crazy, but there are different, definitely many, many varieties of pickling cucumbers. That's for sure. Right. So is that different than like the Persian cucumbers i see yes yeah persian is another variety that's more for fresh uh eating and salads and typically that also is an indoor grown uh pickling cucumber as well not that some pickling cukes aren't grown indoors but typically that's a hydroponically grown uh, again more for just eating um and salads and stuff like that but it is smaller it has ridges on it um but it's a whole different variety of, of cucumber. Yeah. So the what you the the process you described was for whole pickles. I think what you were saying. Yeah, they're just oh, dropped absolutely. in the jar. And yeah, well, uh, well, it's for all that. It's for anything processed, like for chipping. Um, okay. Uh, the sizes, you know, you have some size that are small, and then you have the larger ones. Um, and they do everything with those um, in between. There's a huge food service calling, you know, oh, like right. they do the yeah. security. Yeah. Um, uh, and so they, they do a lot now, but it's, when I say process, I mean everything from the pickles all the way down to chips, you know, and everything in between. Right, right. And if you look on your grocery store shelves now, I mean, there are 60, 70 PLUs in that category now. You know, yeah. it's, it's spicy, it's bread and butter, all the standards, but they're also just like getting into all this different packaging. Um, another real development, um, there's a company up in Wisconsin um, that does uh, the pouches and they have been doing those through, um, they slice them and put them in a pouch. Um, and it, there's some moisture in there, but it's not like a really wet, you know, like you're used to seeing with all that pickle juice in there. And they were marketing those through the C stores, through the convenience stores and gas stations. Those things right. were flying off the shelf. I mean, they, they, and that, now that business kind of slowed a little bit, but, um, you know, it's like every, every other industry, they're, they're trying to find the new, you're not going to change the pickle, but you got to change the packaging and how it's brought to the consumer. So that's what they're all kind of working on now. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading a little bit beforehand about pickles and the popularity is really growing and there's there's a lot of new labels you know mostly small scale production but i think you work mostly with the big guys right you're you're supplying the big guys who do you supply to 
That's that's correct. I mean, we work with people in Florida here, like Clawston. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Mount Olive is a big uh, guy up there in your neighborhood. We don't do anything with him currently, but he's a big, big name in the industry and does. Where a are lot. they based? Are they in North Carolina? Uh, Mount Olive uh, Pickle Company. Um, gosh, what I is think there? they may be Mount Olive, North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's right. up in the northern part there, but you know, those there, and to give you an idea of how big those guys are, and I mean, these are round numbers. Um, but years ago, when we were selling to them out of Florida, you know, they bring in 50, 60 loads of raw product, truckloads of raw product a week, and they ship that much out. They're in every country in the world, you know, yeah. I mean, they're, they're shipping out globally. Um, and most of the big ones are, but what we have, uh, in, in addition to those bigger guys, and with the big guys, you have some independents up in New York and, and Wisconsin and Michigan. They do all the private label stuff. Um, and let me tell you, they're 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 banging it. I mean, they okay. are they are huge, successful companies. And uh, but they're doing you know any of your Publixes, your Wegmans, your Kroger's, or anything like that. Um, oh, the private yeah, label for the grocery store labels. Yeah. Okay. Got it. it, it exactly. Exactly. Right. Do you know but why that why the pickle companies still use high fructose corn syrup in their pickles, in their sweet pickles? You know, I, I don't. I I don't know. Um, there is a there's a produce convention every year. They have actually they have a conference and then they have um, kind of operational meetings and whatnot. It's the PPI Pickle Packers International. And they, they take a look at all that stuff. You know, they always go in and have different meetings about where to change things. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been to one of those, but I'm not sure what their tack is on that right now, um, to be honest. Who's the president of PPI? Is it Peter Piper? <laughs> he was the original president. <laughs> and he, he wanted pickled peppers. He didn't want to pickle yeah, That's peppers. right. Not yeah, not cucumbers. He didn't peppers. That's he was right. out. We how desperate we are for like uh, attention. <laughs> Quite all right. Quite all right. So you're <laughs> you're supplying fresh fresh cucumbers to the pickle industry. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. That is correct. How are they harvested uh, for commercial? Like, the, do, do, are your guys mostly, are they handpicking or do they have machines? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Well, you have both. Um, the handpicking is preferred. And like so many other items, really, really the way to go with particular, with pickling cucumbers. Um, and there are machine pick operations, but, um, and they can say the, the, the processor can save money there because it's a lot easier on label and whatnot, but there's a lot of machine damage that goes with that. So, right. uh, yeah, I watched, that, I watched you know, a couple of videos online of the machine harvesting yeah. and it looked like they were just ripping the plants up on some of them, just completely ripping the plants up. And then in that harvester, yeah. it would separate the cucumbers. And then the cucumbers looked like they were all the same size. And I thought, you know, yeah. do they grow these varieties grow uniformly like that or? No, no, and ideally, and this is why handpicked is best. Um, yeah. The with 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 really good pickers, with people who really know what they're doing in the field, you'll pick a you'll pick one uh, block or whatever whatever you're assigned to. You you may pick that same block three, four, five, and sometimes six times. Yeah, if you can go through there and handpick it and take care of the vines as you do it. 
right. uh, you will continue to yield until the end of the season. Um, so yeah, that's another that's another reason why we like to handpick. And the ones that are really good at it, I tell you, man, it, it helps out a lot. You right. can pick for size a little bit too that way. Yeah, that made sense to me when I saw these machine harvesting. I thought, how is that possible? I, 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 my dad grew cucumbers <laughs> off okay. of the fresh market and he packed them. So I've seen a lot of cucumbers in my day and they were not uniform and they were, you know, some of yeah. them were as big as watermelons almost. <laughs> so, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No. And you got to be careful. I mean, cause you know, they, they have to be within a, a respective range on size and I can give that to you if you're interested, but, um, cause yeah. it's, it's bushel by weight and count, but there are one, two, one, B, two, A, two, B, three, A, three, B, Boy, so you got six or seven sizes, yeah. um, and they go by number and by count, you know, yeah. and that's pretty much. Um, I think we just seven eight hundred for a bushel and and hundred and fifty to two hundred, so really big or really small. Yeah, we had a computer, a cu cucumber conveyor belt, and of course we had uh, employees standing on the side grading them by oh, size, yeah. and then yeah. we just marked them. What did the that we had smalls. <laughs> then super select mm -hmm. select i don't right. know what were the, all the different no those those are the, those are the right names and now yeah. what we have they're they're sized by rollers okay um but they are still hand graded okay on yeah the line. So, now yeah. when you're saying that like how they're shipped in those mm -hmm. bushels mm -hmm. are those like the how are the what is the size uh in relation to like a one of those big old citrus um it's about double Great. the size. It's about double. double double the height. You know, I know you're. Yeah, you know, you've mm -hmm. seen watermelons and bins of, of citrus and stuff loaded, but you know, you've got two bins high and all the way back, and sometimes three bins high. But these are just one bin. It's twenty bins uh, with over with forty one bushels each. So they're taller. They're just mm -hmm. plain cardboard or taller uh, bins. Yeah. But they're still the same, like as a same size as a pallet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just deeper. Yeah, I think it's, those it's bins we we harvested cucumbers and apples and bins, wooden bins like that, and they were twenty bushels, weren't they, Rick? Yeah. yeah. So that's you're saying forty-one bushels, so a little over right. twice the it's, size. It's two. It's two thousand fifty pounds per bin, hmm. um, which is one bushel over what we do here in the states. We just do uh, two thousand pounds per bin. Yeah. Um, but they're just basically uh, waterproof inside with uh, biodegradable, you know, food safety. And then, you know, because they, they're they not meant for long-term use, they're cardboard basically. Right. But they do set on the same standard pallet, uh, Cindy, that you were talking about. And then, um, you know, they just pick them up and dump them or they just take a, a knife and run it down the side and open her <laughs> <Pop> up. out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. You know, you mentioned, uh, taking care of the vines when picking mm -hmm. that was always a problem our father has as a cucumber grower is is the worker stepping on the vines is oh it, yeah in the late 60s our father designed a machine i guess you could call it a machine to pull behind the tractor where the workers sat on the they had seats on the machine and they would just reach down the tractor would go very slow and they would pick without their feet touching the vine yeah, yeah. And, uh, used that thing for a long time I don't, were they sure safety seat belted in have they not tumble <laughs> forward 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think we had seat belts in those days. We didn't have them in our race cars. <laughs> yeah, true. No and he had, he put a at that point. Yeah, he put a, a covering over it too, so they were uh, shaded them while they picked. So interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, the the farmers are very creative, and they they um you know they make their own uh, way with stuff like that, and yeah. uh, you know that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, most of them are very very. Uh, um good at the ingenuity side of getting it done um, well, that brought up my next question though is do they do, do any of them harvest with something similar to that now or is it all just walking through the field not not that i know of um there might be someone out there working on some machinery but i know at least what i've seen here domestically and down in Culiacan, you know no they're still going through and um, just being quite ginger and how they take the pickle, you know, they twist it and lift and take it so it doesn't damage the flour and all that kind of good stuff. And mm -hmm. it's just another sign, you know, again, our general consumers still think are starting to think everything's automated and we're still so heavily reliant upon physical labor. It's, it's, it's just amazing that that's, that's the case still, but it is. But they do you use it in California on some crops. I know, I think they use it for lettuce. Yeah, oh, I've seen oh, them in I California. Other yeah. Crops? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I agree. You know, the automated picking part is under siege right now. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Everybody's trying to find a way. And the reason for that is because of the labor issues mm -hmm. um, that have continued to plague the industry. And um, that's not going to go anyway anytime soon. And I even heard a couple of weeks ago from our rower. Um, and he has a lot of built-in labor with his people in that company, but they're, they're even having trouble finding labor at times down in Mexico now. Mm -hmm. And if that's not a, a dire cast of, you know, things to come, it's a problem guys. The weather and labor are both going to continue to be problems for us in this industry, not just pickles, but produce. So, mm -hmm. so how many growers do you have to work with? Well, you know, this one, uh, up here in, in the Southeast, I was working with two or three different ones. The one down in uh, Mexico is just one guy. Uh, and he's the, the main grower down there and he supplies all these guys up here, which kind of makes it easy. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's down in Culiacan. And um, he, I, I have to say, and I'll tell anyone who listened to me, he's the best grower I've ever worked for. I mean, it is like, incredible the quality that he puts forth and mm -hmm. um I, it just makes my job easy and makes the guys want to come back for contracts the next year and no trouble on arrivals and you know it's real he's just a fantastic grower so right at this time i'm just working with one but he's a big one uh, down in Culiacan. didn't you say that you help small growers around the state well what i did was i and i i've been trying to get away from that um yes i worked for the big growers i worked for the big corporate growers for about 20 years and 15 years ago i decided to go out on my own and start doing smaller deals with with different types of growers um smaller seasonal deals and the reason why i did that was because i would do direct sales for them where they build for all their own product they got paid for all their own product um, but I did that for the smaller guys who were having trouble getting their product to market. And it was a really good model for me. I would handle anywhere from 25 acres to 500 acres. And what I would guarantee, and it didn't matter what the commodity was, what I would guarantee is that if while I was 
selling your particular commodity, I would not sell that commodity for someone else. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I would put together a bunch of small deals over the year to try to diversify and help those guys. But one by one, little by little, they've either been bought or decided to stop growing. My guy here in Florida just pulled the plug on all their cabbage and greens because they can't make money. Uh, he was a big pickling cucumber guy down here, stopped growing because he can't make money. Mm. Um, and, you know, some of the stuff we talked about at the food show, or, but I, I would love to talk about that sometime, you know, on another show, because that's, that's hammering the industry. And it's one of the small unsung reasons as to why your prices are going up in the grocery stores, because the little yeah. guys are going away, guys. The worst case scenario is happening. The small family owned farms going away and make no mistake they are going away well that's sad news now we've we've uh, talked uh, uh, we've hit on that in a few episodes and we haven't dedicated an episode to it but we've touched yeah. on it we've had other guests who have said similar things so we'd love to have you back and talk about that since in, i think you have it you have a, you have a unique perspective on it since you dealt with them yeah, and I'm not, I'm not an expert, but, you know, I've always been a sales and marketing guy, so I don't want to re- misrepresent myself, but I have worked from guys who were 50 acres all the way up to the major corporate farms and growers, and I, I have, I had to step back and reassess my own professional life. I was kind of whistling past the graveyard for about five years. I could see these changes coming, and I was holding on too long to some of these smaller guys and almost almost went back, almost went bankrupt because of it. Oh, no. um, but once I recognized what was really happening, I had to fine tune my own professional life to adjust for that. And, um, you know, it's sad when you see the farm here in Florida and, and I'm going to talk to him and see if he'd be willing to come on with me if it's okay with you. Yeah, that'd um, be great. Hank Scott, Hank Scott at Long and Scott Farms uh, in Zellwood up there. Um, that is a 70-year-old family-owned farm. And uh, I worked for him for 12 years and um, we parted ways a couple of years ago and we're like family now. It's not even really wasn't even like working for the guy. Um, but I had a front row seat to all the little things that go on to cause the consternation of, of these farms. And they're just over it. They're tired. They're tired of dealing with it, you know? Right. And then you have this, and this is the last thing I'll say, but it, it's relative. It's the same thing that I saw down in Vero Beach, Florida, 25 years ago. What you have is generational farms and generational money and generational land. And so there's always been someone to take that over. There's no one to take it over now. You've got a new generation of younger kids and, and, and parents who are going, you know what, I can, I can sell um, a third of the land I own for 100000 an acre and never hit a lick. Or I can bust my ass for the rest of my life and be a farmer. Eh, you know, yeah. that's what's happening. They're just, the, the younger people are just not going into the industry. And um, the farm here in Florida in particular, and I, I don't want to get in trouble because it could get personal there, but, um, you know, he has kids and there's no one to give it to. There's no one that I would give it to, <laughs> Yeah, right. you know, so he, he has to make those decisions, but yeah. uh, you know, it's a transitional time guys. I'm telling you, I wouldn't have been a weather guy. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I've seen how the weather has impacted the industry. And if people don't see that there's some changes going on with, with climate, they're crazy because it's, it's been something, you know, yeah. so, anyway, that's you know, enough. Well, we're not going to end it on the gloom and doom, right? No, no, I <laughs> well, think that that's, 
No, I think that that's, uh, we talk about that in the, the plight of, you know, you know, trying to get things less expensive. And, and uh, my swan song is, you think we're dependent on foreign uh, governments for oil. The last thing we want to do is be dependent on somebody else for our food. Oh, yeah. And you got that right. And we have so many resources here, you know, but the thing about, you know, a lot of time people are like, oh, hydroponic or indoor. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. It's perfect. But you can only do so much of that. You have right. to mass produce and uh, or you're not going to feed a feed a country or a world. That's for sure. So right. you have contract pricing or is it is there market pricing? You know what? We do have, there are two different schools of thought there. Within the processor industry, it's almost all uh, contract pricing. Mm -hmm. Same price on the same sizes for however long that season goes. But there is a uh, open market of, um, with, uh, if you go out, aside from the processors, you have, the, you mentioned before, the mom and pop shop. You can buy bushels at a time um, mm -hmm. in crates or boxes. And you buy the same sizes we're talking about, but it's in the same unit of sale that you've seen with everything else. You know, it's it's a it's a 50 pound box of product, mm -hmm. and normally it's in a wooden crate. Sometimes they're in um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, where you take the 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 air? Um, I'll think vacuum sealed. Uh, yeah, no, well, not vacuum sealed. I'm trying to think of the right term, um, but that is more for the open market. Like you might sell, if you go to New York or Boston and the Northeast is bigger for it, they'll buy those because the mom and pop shops might be making their own pickles in the restaurants. Mm. Um, there are tons of small mom and pop picklers out there that might buy 25 bushels, you know, and do 200 jars or something. Um, right. But there, there's a lively business for that. And that is, that is supply and demand and that market can get expensive. You know, you might be paying 14 or $15 for a bushel of uh, pickling cukes in a bin, but if the market's on fire in New York or Boston in the crate, you know, you might get 25 to 30 bucks for that. So they try to push as much of it into that as they can to get the, the returns up, but they still meet their contracts and, and honor their contracts. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you ever yeah, make your own pickles? I do not. <laughs> Teresa do does. Like pickles? I'm also you, the baseball and football players that never really watched baseball and football. So it's <laughs> like too, too much like being at work, probably. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was fun. You know, I, I didn't even miss it really for the longest time, and now that I can't do it, I miss it. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Teresa makes her like own pickles? pickles. Yeah, a lot of people do. A lot of people do. Yeah. The refrigerator pickles are pretty easy to make because there's, you know, it's basically spices and vinegar and put them in the refrigerator. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that brings me to a question. Some pickles are fermented and some are not. What we get from the Mount Olives and the Clausens and the Vlasic are those, those are not fermented, are they? No, those are all brine. Yeah. Brine. Right. So, yeah. Pickling goes back quite a ways. I was reading that it, they believe that uh, 2500 BC was like the very first recording of uh, pickling a yeah, vegetable. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and as a preservative, you know, right. many things started out as a preservative. You know? Exactly. It was one of the few ways to preserve foods, especially vegetables. No, that the thing that most people probably don't realize is that it, aside from the salt and whatnot, um, 
you know, pickles are, I mean, there's like zero caloric uh, value. It's like, you know, five calories for a pickle or, you know, 10 calories. So that's a good thing too. It's a snack. And, yeah. But yeah, there's not much uh, nutritional value to them. That's for sure. <laughs> but they are delicious, man. I love my pickles. I put them on just about everything, even ice cream. I do too. And I'm yeah, not even I pregnant. Don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't put it on. Well, the pickle, pickles and peanut butter. Do you know what we used to do? The pickled yeah. relish and peanut on peanut butter. Oh, that's uh, right. Oh my yeah. God. yeah, we did that. <laughs> peanut butter sandwich. It is really yeah. good. You won't believe it till you try it. I, I've yeah. never had that. I've never tried that. And that's a sweet relish. Yeah, a sweet pickle relish. Or you can use butter. the dill pickle relish too you can use the kind that's not sweet yeah 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 i like bread bread and butter were always my my favorites but what's the difference with the bread and butter are they different varieties or are they no different? that's just a, the sweet they have they're sweeter you know no it's just a that that whatever is in that brine that's that's what i like you know mm -hmm. sugar sugar yeah, hey, hey, hey. she doesn't yeah. she doesn't oh, like sure. sugar <laughs> Teresa's well, clean living I, let's just say i like it <laughs> i yeah. try not to eat much of it yeah yeah like all the rest of us it's hard yeah right it's <laughs> yeah. so addictive they say sugar's more addictive than cocaine oh yeah so. no, it well, is. I, I don't know about the other but like it is addicting <laughs> sugar <laughs> oh yeah it, fire, it fires your brain i mean there's uh plenty of evidence to show you know when you eat a, a tablespoon of sugar your brain just lights up like a christmas tree you know uh, and um <laughs> uh what was it even when i was uh disappointed today with the uh, cancer and everything you know when they when they do those tests on you you know cancer loves sugar so yeah. that's how they find those spots on you with the cat scans and whatnot oh and, really I didn't know that. Yeah. It's interesting. Crazy. Yeah. Yep. So what position did you play in baseball? I was a pitcher in baseball and a wide receiver in football. Okay. Yeah. How tall are you? Uh, I'm 6'6". Six, six. That's what I thought. Yeah. And the, the sad story was that, I mean, I always loved baseball. I played all three in high school and then, um, but I really did love football. Um, that was always kind of my, where my heart was and um i was getting recruited pretty heavily and um dislocated my shoulder in my senior year oh, and no. uh now it wound up being a blessing because i was getting recruited by all big state schools at the time and when that when after that happened well here comes duke and wake forest and bandy and these great schools that i really had not even been considering and and um it wound up being a real godsend you oh, know no. and then i and then I was have I had a great year in baseball, and the scouts started calling the baseball coach up at Vanderbilt and said, "You've got a wide receiver coming up there that we want. That's a pitcher." And he's like, "Really?" <laughs> so I wound up playing more baseball than I did football up there. But I was a little skinny, so I was hurt quite a bit. Still kind of skinny. What years were you at Vanderbilt? Eighty to eighty-five. My best sports story has, and it's to do with baseball, has nothing to do with um, with playing. And it was uh, when I went spring that year, like I mentioned, Sandy Koufax would come to spring training and work with the left-handed pitchers. Hmm. And um, I was practicing my pickoff move one day because I was a lefty, and he just comes walking across the field and after workouts and everything. So it was kind of wrapping up. 
and he just kind of takes the sideline over and we had spoken because you know it's not not that many people in there and, and certainly left-handed pitchers so he comes walking over to me he's asking him asking me what i'm doing this that and the other and uh across the field walks lou brock who of course is huh. in the hall of fame with the right. cardinals but he was going around to the different uh, spring trainings and working with minor league base runners and whatnot. So Sandy Koufax yelled to, and bear in mind at this point, I mean, I'm, I'm starstruck already. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so he calls him over and tells Lou Brock, Sandy Koufax says, go over on first base and tell me if you can pick up what Bill's doing. So I was standing on, on a, in a field by myself, no one else around with Sandy Koufax on the mound with me. Uh, trying to tell me how to pick off Lou Brock, you know, and uh, fastest guy in the sport at that time. Bro. That was like, man, where am I? You know, pinch me kind of thing. Yeah. Sandy That's... Kovacs was before my time, but he was not a left-handed pitcher. He was the left-handed right. pitcher. So, right. you know, I knew exactly who. I was. But I, I, you know, little things like that. And no, that's a great thing... story. Tell us about your band. Oh, it's not a band. I just play out as much as I can. I've, I've got a few different venues that we get together and jam two or oh, three nights a week. Cool. And you play guitar? And, uh, what do you play? I do. I do. I play guitar. I like acoustic and electric and yeah. uh, sing a little bit. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot of Have fun. you written dad, any music? Have you written any no. music? No, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's so late in the game for me. I mean, it's just the enjoyment of playing is is enough at some point maybe if i retire maybe i'll sit down but the thought of being able to sit down and write songs about as foreign to me at this point is, uh i get so much joy out of just playing and the people that i play with right now it's uh that's good enough it's gonna have to I, be for i've now. got a an idea for a song for you it goes okay. like this it's, i've just got the first line i don't want a pickle i just want to ride on my motorcycle there you go. Hey. <laughs> oh my song. god. You know that song, don't you? That's Arlo, Arlo Guthrie song. Man, it's getting ugly quick. And <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a good time. It's a great time. And that's where the rubber beats the road. When people are writing songs, those are the ones that are, you know, you know. Yeah. Look up Arlo talent. Guthrie. I don't want to pickle. He's got a He's the guy who did Alice's Restaurant, and so he. Yeah, he, I know he, him. I've never yeah. heard that song before. I'm yeah. familiar with it. And he tells a story about it. It's not as funny as Alice's Restaurant, but he tells a story about why he wrote that song. <laughs> but it's kind of a well, it's kind of a silly story. But since you're in the pickle business, you should. I'll look have at to this. remember that. I'll have to remember that. Refer that to our to our growers down there. Yeah. So, I do a lot of classic country stuff you know and okay i like anything blues rock or country or, or any derivative of any of those three or combination of those three are all okay with me bluegrass you play any bluegrass i'm a big bluegrass uh, no, no, music no I, no I have some friends that are good enough to play bluegrass i love straight blues and you know yeah. kind of call hippie country you know dead flowers yeah all right. and stuff like that I play guitar and banjo, so I I played okay, a little okay. bluegrass, not professionally in any way, but just yeah. with friends. That's I hard. Played... That's that's tough music. That's good stuff, man. Well, the banjo I think is the easiest instrument to learn, but it's it looks hard, but it's it's not it's not that difficult. You, it's you all could, open tuning, right? Yeah, it's open tuning and only five strings, and the fifth string you don't really have to worry too much about. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it's fine. And people love yeah. to hear it. <laughs> they well, do. most people they do. do. 
You know well, the difference that, between a banjo uh, and an onion? Or... Oh, sorry. Do you know the difference uh, between no, no. a banjo and an onion? I don't. Nobody cries when you cut up a banjo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Nice. I love and the it. difference between, or what do a banjo and a lawsuit have in common? I don't know. Everybody's happiest when the case is closed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in that same vein. Okay, we're gonna have. A, what is oh. a what? What is the cucumber's favorite instrument? Okay. We now we have this segment called Homegrown. Uh, yeah. uh, where okay. Tisa okay. tells one of her bad puns. She likes these puns. So this is this is homegrown. <laughs> and after she gives the answer, you got to groan. Don't laugh. You have to groan. All right. So anyway, all right. all right. So ask that again, Teresa. What is a cucumber's favorite instrument? What is a cucumber's favorite instrument? A mandolin. <laughs> oh, well, that's, oh, that's good. That. Yeah. That's good. Piccolo. No, Piccolo. Oh, I got it. Oh, I got one. Oh, I'm supposed to groan. Oh, Piccolo. The follow-up to me would be, what was his least favorite instrument? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the mandolin. Right? Of that one. <laughs> okay, usually, we've tortured you enough, usually, Bill. Usually, Billy, they, they don't That's have right. like, yeah, sense. Yeah. They usually, you're just like, oh, man. <laughs> like dad, dad jokes, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. that they are. They're just bad, bad, bad jokes. And I laugh because that's the first time I've ever guessed one, I think. So <laughs> thanks very much. This Guys, was thank fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Thank, yeah, thank you. Very, very interesting. Much. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Billy. Right. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Have a bye -bye. good one. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the Produce Buzzers podcast, brought to you by Produce Buzz gathering place for lovers of fresh fruits and veggies. We hope you were entertained a bit and educated a lot about fresh produce. Be sure to join us next time and please tell your friends to do so as well. Like, share, and comment on our Produce Buzz Facebook page and check out our website at www.producebuzz.com. There you will find articles about fresh fruits and veggies how to select, store, and prepare them, as well as lots of interesting facts about all the wonderful bounty the earth provides for us. Until next time, be fruitful, and don't forget to veg out.